So when Dorothy and I were living in Wyoming and we were going to Bible school, we were leading the youth group in our in our church. And there was one youth group family, there were two boys in it, they were a year apart. And so competition between the two of them was just uh, crazy. And we would go to their house and, and have uh, meetings at their house on occasion. And one of the times we went there, we played capture the flag. And uh, their, their farm, their wheat and, and uh, wheat farmers, and so a lot of their ground is farm ground. But right beside their house was probably about maybe three or four acres of just trees. They had some fruit trees in there and then just a mixture of other other trees and they just never did cut it down, never did farm it. It was just kind of part of their part of where they were at. And so they would we would send those two boys out because they knew that part of that ground just crazy. And they would hide the flags for their team. And then we would go out and we would play capture the flag. Now if you've never played capture the flag uh, we'll do it right after church this morning. <laughs> but but each but you break up in two different teams, and you can go more teams than just two. But we would just do two teams, and you you protect your flag, and then you also try to go and capture the other person's flag without getting caught. And if you get caught, you have to spend time in jail, and someone from your team has to come and free you and bust you out. And so there's all these complications. But uh, when all of your team is in jail, and you're the only one not in jail, you really work hard at not being taken captive. Uh, sometimes if you're in the game, sometimes you have to be taken captive to kind of draw the draw the defense towards you. So sometimes it's strategic to be captured, but most of the time it's not strategic to be captured. You want to remain free and, and remain uncaptured until you capture the flag. Uh, I was thinking about that this week as I was looking at Colossians 2, and I wanna just look at these verses, uh, Colossians 2 verses 8, 9, and 10. And I think there's a wealth of information here, a wealth of stuff that we could spend plenty of time on. But look at Colossians 2 verse 8 with me uh, as we begin. Uh, Paul writing this to the church of Colossae, and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Now we know as we look at this that Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's stressing to them the supremacy of Christ. He's stressing to them that Christ is number one, that he is supreme, that nothing compares to Christ. And so as we look at this, he gives this warning here, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, when you think of philosophy, what do you think of? Man's opinion. Man's opinion, okay? And really when you boil it down, that really is it, isn't it? Now, with philosophy on it, with it being man's opinion, it may go deep, it may be thick, it may be Old English, it may be Greek, but as we think about it, that's really what it is, is man's thinking. Man's thinking and coming up with answers for things, okay? That's basically man's answers is what is what philosophy is. And as they try to, man's reasoning maybe fits that as well, as, as man tries to reason things out that's really what philosophy is. And so Paul is telling them, hey, don't let anyone take you captive by, by this philosophy. 
Uh, as you think about where Paul is writing this, uh, Greek philosophy was the love of wisdom, and Greek philosophy loved to talk about wisdom and the search of wisdom and the seeking of wisdom. And so wisdom and gaining more wisdom was, was always a great desire for them. And so it was something that they were always in pursuit of is, is more wisdom. Uh, and that's what they focused on was the pursuit of truth. Uh, as we think about the pursuit of truth and as we think about that, uh, human, uh, human intellect is something that's very finite, isn't it? I mean, for some of us, it's more finite than for others of us. Uh, but sometimes, even in the finite thinking of, tr of, of seeking truth, sometimes even just talking kind of makes us think that they're more wisdom, but it's just babble, right? I mean, for some and we look at them and just think, wow, that person, you know, because they use words this long uh, and can pronounce them, as far as we know, uh, we think, wow, that's where they are. That's exactly where Colossi was. They were in the midst of that of that philosophy struggle that was going on. Uh, how can a person be taken captive by philosophy and by empty deceit? The other part of that warning. And not knowing the truth. Of okay. Word. By not knowing the truth. Okay. All right. Okay. Falling into the traps. Uh, we think about the philosophy and the empty deceit. Uh, that's going on, and when we fall into those traps, when we fall into those uh, empty deceits, uh, that is what happens. And as we fall into those, it's easy for us to, to be taken captive. And as we think about the there not being any truth, uh, there's not any truth. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me, that there's not absolute truth. Um, you know, even as we think in that realm of things, we can, we can fall off the path and we can be trapped in this. Now, kind of along with this is how can a person avoid being taken captive? Uh, Kim mentioned about knowing the truth. I mean, the truth is what sets us free, right? Uh, and so a recognition of the truth. And as we think about that recognition of the truth, a desire to hold on to that truth. Sometimes as we hear other philosophies and we know that it's contrary to the truth, we may say, well, you know, that's a good idea, that's a good thought, that's a possibility. Even though we know it doesn't completely match up to the truth, we can, we can buy into that partial truth. And if we buy into that partial truth, uh, it's a dangerous thing, isn't it? Uh, partial truth is still a lie, right? We can't mix water and oil, we can't mix truth and a lie. And so that is, that is what we are in danger of. Now, thankfully, the Church of Colossae is in that danger, but we're not, right? I mean, this is so outdated for us, we don't have to worry about this today, right? I mean, we have the internet with true wisdom on there, right? If it's on Facebook, then it must be right. Twitter, questionable. But uh, my face, questionable. But, but Facebook is right on. So as we think about this, this is so applicable for us today. Uh, because there are partial truths out there all the time. Uh, there's a book out called Truth Twisters, uh, and it's just a book about cults, and it's amazing about some of the truth twisting that takes place, uh, and it sounds good. It sounds so close, but yet it's so far away, uh, and so we face the same thing, so it's important that we heed this instruction as well. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Uh, according to 
human tradition. Now this is this is First Corinthians, or this is Colossians, sorry. No, this is First Corinthians. First Corinthians 121. I think we're about ready to lose a ball here. First Corinthians 121 says this. For since, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Now, as we look at this and we think about Paul's warning in Colossians, what do we see in this passage? What is Paul's warning right here? The world's wisdom. All right. What, what is the world? What is the danger of the world's wisdom? Centered around ourselves. Okay. It's centered around self or it's centered around man. Okay? Uh, and how valuable is world's wisdom in regards to eternity? I heard uh nil. Nil, okay. It's nil. It's it's of it's of no value. Okay? Uh, the wisdom of God is what saves those who believe. The world's wisdom does nothing but lead us astray. It's folly. It's what leads us astray. And, and that's what Paul is warning us about. This philosophy is man's wisdom, is, is man's trying to reconcile things. And man's wisdom, no matter how much we have, uh, is folly. All right, now look back at, at Colossians 2, verse 8 there again. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. Now, as we think about human tradition, <coughs> can we gather that all human tradition is evil? No? Okay. What makes evil, what makes human tradition evil, and what makes human tradition not evil? What's the, what's the defining thing? See, you have to use scripture as a plumb. Okay. Scripture is our plumb bob, isn't it? Okay. If, if that human tradition contradicts the word of God, then that human tradition is evil. It's of no value. But if that human tradition lines up with the word of God, then it is something that can be trusted. It can be something that can be held to. And so that's what Paul is speaking about here. That's what he's talking about is in, in regards to human tradition. It's things that don't line up with the word of God. Uh, and they, they, are, they are contrary to the word of God. And so that's, that's his warning here. All right, now look at verse nine here. He says in the last part of, of verse uh, eight, he says, and not according to Christ. For in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what do we learn from that passage as we think about Christ? Okay, there's nothing else, okay. He's holy, okay? He's the whole fullness of the God. Okay, he's the fullness of the Godhead. He's not partially God. He's not half God. The fullness of deity dwells within him. Uh, he's all He's all God, 100% God. Uh, this, is, this is John 1, 1 through 3. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. As we think about Christ, and as we think about the deity of Christ, John 1, 1 through 3 really sums up his deity, doesn't it? I mean, it's really the whole picture of his deity, uh, the whole fullness of his deity uh, that dwells in him. And we see that here. 
Uh, he was in the beginning. So we think about that in Genesis 1. The beginning is when it all began. Christ was there. Christ is eternal. Uh, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not was a God, not was a kind of God, little g, but He was God. And so as we think about that, the fullness of Christ is God. The fullness of His deity is, is Christ. And then we read verse 14 of John 1, and it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So John 1, 1 and 2, 3 tells us who the Word is, and then this tells us that the Word became flesh. And that's what we see there in Colossians 2, verse 9, is that the fullness of His deity dwelt bodily. How is that possible? John 1, 14 tells us how it's possible. Uh, that's, that is how it takes place. The, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He existed in eternity past, took on human flesh, the fullness of God dwelling in human flesh, dwelling amongst us. Uh, and that's the message that Paul is proclaiming. And here in this Gnosticism, and this philosophy is not of Gnosticism. They believed that he was God. They believed that, he, that Christ was God, but they didn't believe that it, in his body. They didn't believe he had a physical body. Uh, it's amazing how that has changed, right? We, in our generation, believe that Jesus was just a man. We believe the physical part of Jesus. That's kind of what the world thinks, right? He was just a man. He was a good teacher. We, we take away, society takes away the deity of Christ. Back in this generation where the Colossians was, the first century, uh, they believed in the deity of Christ, but they didn't believe in the humanity of Christ. And so Paul is saying, hey, he was fully God, fully man, dwelling among us. And, and that's, what he's, that's what he's proclaiming here. That's what he is laying out for them uh, in this passage. All right, you can look at, look back in your Bible, uh, or you can look on the wall, whatever you'd like to do. But this is Colossians 1.19. Now, in your Bible, is chapter 2 before chapter 1 or after? Okay, what translation do you have? Okay, ESV. So there we go. Uh, so this is in Colossians 1 verse 19. Paul is speaking about this, and he says, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Do you think this is a point that needs to be recognized? Yeah. Mentioned in chapter 1, he's saying it again here in chapter 2, just in case we were asleep for chapter 1. Alright? The fullness of God dwells in him. It dwells bodily in him. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, so he puts in the whole fullness of God. Uh, was pleased to dwell. The whole fullness of God dwelled in him by. So that is the point that Paul is making here, and that's the, Paul, the point that Paul is, is wanting to drive home to the, to the people of Colossae. Okay? Uh, any questions about that? Any questions about the fullness of God being bodily in Christ? The question is the only one that could actually be both God and man, but only he was perfection. He who knew no sin became our sin. Certainly. No, no one ever humanly could ever Certainly. And it's it's a hard concept for us to think about and for us to recognize. And, and people have tried to explain it away and make less of it. But it's important that we realize that he was 100% God. 
while being 100% man, okay? We see, that he, we see that he hungers, we see that he tires. Those are attributes of man, right? So he was 100% man while still being 100% God. And, and sometimes that just, when I meditate on that or when I think about that, it just makes my head hurt. But I just have to come to the realization and by faith recognize that Christ was 100% God and 100% man. When he came in, it wasn't something that happened during his lifetime, but it was there that it took place. And that's, that's what we see in Christ. That's what the Jews were against all the time. Yes. They, yes. They did not want to accept that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and over the over the ages, that's been something that people have struggled with. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, you know, the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses didn't like the teaching about hell, and he couldn't understand the Trinity. Uh, and so, because he couldn't understand the Trinity, he taught and proclaimed that Christ was just a man, just a good teacher, uh, but not. The Son of God, not God in the flesh. And just yeah. like he said, he said, You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah. So yeah. he was. Yeah, it's not like it's in one instance no. either, is it? It's something that we see throughout Scripture that, that he and the Father are one. Yeah, right. All right. Let's, let's look uh, at Colossians 2, verse 10 here. And I was just thinking on this uh, yesterday and was just kind of meditating on this. And, Kind of an amazing thing for me in, in my board unit's ears, but there's Kleenex available. It says, For in, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you ever sit down with the Apostle Paul's letters and you want to just do a fun study, just get a colored pencil and every time you see in him, circle it. Uh, you will be amazed at how many times you read in him. Uh, as we look at this, what do we read about in him? Uh, it, it says, in him the whole fullness of beauty dwells bodily. And you have been filled where? In him. In him. So remember Gnosticism was teaching that, hey, you have to do A, B, C, and D to be able to be, to be fully spiritual, to be a, a right standing before God. You have to check all of these boxes. And if you don't, you're just part way there. Uh, you need to keep working at it. What Paul is saying here, he says, uh, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Verse 10, uh, I'm in the ESV, you've been filled in him. In verse 10, does someone else have a different word there? Complete. New King James, right? Complete. In his fullness, okay? It's complete in NAS. It's complete in the NAS as well. Complete. That's this idea. This fullness, this idea is being complete, okay? In Christ, you are complete. In Christ, you are complete. Yes. Uh, what about what about what in Christ you are complete? Where are we? As followers of Christ, we are in Christ, right? As followers of Christ, we are complete. Not because of us, not because of our hairstyle, but because we're in Christ. That is what Paul is, is pointing out here, is that we are in Christ. 
And so I, I just searched, I have a Bible program on my phone, and I just searched in Christ yesterday. And I just went through all of these verses. And it's amazing what we have in Christ. And this is one that I was really appreciative of. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ. What does it mean? What does condemnation mean? Totally separated. Okay, totally separated. Okay. When you think about being condemned, what do you think about? Hell? Guilty? No hope. You're in trouble. You've been convicted. You're guilty. You're condemned. That's the sentence you deserve. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How is that possible? Because of what Christ has done for us. Because of the gospel message. That is why. Is it a good thing to be in Christ? Unless you're excited about condemnation, in Christ is where it's at, right? Okay, that's where it's at. Uh, I remember visiting with somebody one time and they were just struggling with some of the, the, the sins in their lives and, and, and just going on and just shared with me about their faith in Christ and their knowledge of Christ, uh, but they didn't know if that was enough. Romans 8.1, there therefore is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We got to make sure we're in Christ, right? Certainly don't want to take that for granted because condemnation doesn't sound exciting. Hey, you know what? It's kind of like, uh, do I do the all-you-can-eat buffet or just the half-you-can-eat buffet? Well, it doesn't really matter. I'll just see how I feel when I'm done. You know? That's not that kind of thing. It's either condemnation or it's not condemnation. So I want to make sure that I'm in Christ. Uh, another one is, is uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new is come. What is the requirement for being a new creation? In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. So a little story about this verse, every time I think about it, uh, I saw a t-shirt that was a 57 Chevy, all fixed up, dolled up, painted up, looked great, and this was the verse. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Uh, restored, completely restored. Uh, and, and that's what we have. And it only is available in Christ. And so as we think about what Paul is telling the people of Colossae, he says, hey, if you're in Christ, uh, if you're in Christ, you've been filled in him. You are complete in him. Uh, you are no longer facing condemnation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's what we have in Christ. That's what we are in Christ. Okay? Now, Look at, look at Colossians 2, verse 10. And I'll look at Colossians 1, verses 18. Again, just like we established earlier, uh, Colossians 1 is before Colossians 2, right? All right, this is Colossians 1. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He is the head of the body. What does verse 10 tell us about Christ? He's the head of all. The head of all. Not only is he the head of the body of the church, he's the head of all. So it's not like, hey, my manager's better than your manager. Okay? Uh, my manager 
is head of the church and he is the head of all. He is over all. And so in this society where they are talking about all of these different things, Paul's message is, hey, Christ has authority over us as the church, but Christ has authority over all. There's nothing that unseats Christ. He is superior to everything. He is superior to everything and all things that he might have preeminence. All right. So as we think about this, what do we take home from this? I mean, what's the value in this for us? I mean, all these years later, we need to be in Christ. Certainly so. Okay, Jesus paid it all. Okay, yeah, right. Certainly so. Okay, uh, the truth is what what is needed, isn't it? Okay, Steve. Just as we have nothing to do with our natural birth, we have nothing to do with being born again. It's all right that causes us to come to Him. Okay, all right. Uh, he draws us to Him. So. Okay, certainly. Christ is the supreme one. Okay, He is Lord. He is the Master. Okay. Now, just, just a thought here, uh, is, as we think about these other things, the empty deceits and, and the philosophies of man, can those be attractive to us? Sure. Maybe not us, but people, other people. Okay, they can be, can they? All right, so as we look at those things and we weigh our options and we go, okay, those are good, those are good, those are good. What is best for us? To be in Christ, to be in Christ. So we look at those and we can see those as empty philosophies and empty deceits because Christ is the fullness, right? So, I mean, as I think about that and I think about all of the other things the world can offer me, hey, it's better to be in Christ. It's better to be in Christ. Uh, man, I may be able to have new tennis shoes. I may be able to, but man, it's better to be in Christ. Uh, and really, that's got to be the, the thing that I take home from this, isn't it? It's, if I'm in Christ, I have everything. I have everything. I don't need anything else. Any other thoughts? Yes, sir. I was watching a show last night, and it's one of those where they go out in the streets and ask people questions, and they ask this 20 something kid from New York City about the Bible. He says, I've never heard of it. Hmm. Yeah, and that's New York, America? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, it's, it's amazing. There's so many that just don't know. Uh, but but I mean in Christ is where it's at. In Christ is where it's at, and there is there's no better place to be than in Christ. We're safe and secure. Yes, we're safe and secure in Christ. That's true. Sure. God, it is the only thing that can transform a man. Right. The word God right. And exactly. Power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly. That's the truth that we've got to be. And, and First Corinthians two five, I think you say. Yeah, and you think about the philosophies of the world, isn't that the wisdom of man? And that's where so often we want our faith to rest instead of in the power of God. Uh, and it is, doesn't make sense. What a wonderful plan God has. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for certain. Uh, and Satan isn't wanting to un unserve it, isn't he? Uh, but so thankful for the truth of God's word. Yeah. What's happening?